0: I want to begin this morning by opening to Psalm 86. So if you wouldn't mind taking out your personal copy of God's word and turn to Psalm 86. As it says at the beginning, this is a prayer of David it's a prayer that I found great comfort in in the last intervening months. I would like to direct our attention to it here this morning. Follow along as I read Psalm 86. A prayer of David Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you, you. Are my God be gracious to me O Lord for to you do I cry all the day glad in the soul of your servant for to you O Lord do I lift up my soul for you O Lord are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you give ear O Lord to my prayer Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me, you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness turn to me and be gracious to me give your strength give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you lord have helped me and comforted me let's bow together in a word of prayer Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you indeed are a God who is abounding in steadfast love. It is not in short supply with you and that you hear our prayers. We thank you for the comfort, for the help that you give to your people. And Father, this morning I pray you would help me to give testimony to your greatness and your faithfulness, even as David does so in this psalm. And may we learn to rejoice in all of who you are. We pray you'd guide our minds and hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, the last sermon I preached here was on August 8th. And since that time, God has chosen for our family to walk through some waters that we did not choose, but challenged us in many ways. Today's message will be part testimony, part sermon, but I trust will be encouraging as we go to the Word of God and as we think about who our God is. And so I want to begin this morning by just in one sense, recounting what took place uh, in the events of our family. For those who uh, maybe don't know what took place, want to state it here for the record and just bring all of us up to speed and give testimony to what God has done. On Friday, August 13th, my son Owen woke up and was uh, sweaty, lethargic, and upon waking up was falling asleep again on our shoulder, and so we knew something was not right. Upon taking his temperature, he had a low temperature of 95.0, and so we immediately rushed him to the emergency room at San Antonio. They quickly discerned that he had low blood sugar uh, in the teens and uh, was extremely critical. They were able to bring that uh, back up Thankfully, and it was um, at that point we realized he needed more testing, and so we were uh, transferred to Loma Linda University Children's Hospital. It was as we were there at Loma Linda, they began to run a number of tests trying to figure out why his blood sugar was so low. And so there were a number of hypoglycemia tests that they ran. And nothing came back as showing any sort of issues that would normally be associated with such a condition. One of the doctors, in trying to figure out something, realized that Owen's head was in the higher side. They measured it, and it measured in the 96th percentile for children his age. And also concerning was that his soft spot on the top of his head had not yet closed, even though he was 18 months old, and he normally closed between 12 to 15 months, and it was still rather large. And so they decided to run an ultrasound through that soft spot on his head. Didn't know you could do that, but amazing that they, they are. I found a text that I had sent to a friend who had checked in with me on this is a few days after it was. We'd gone in on Friday, transfer on Saturday, uh, some tests run on uh, Sunday night. I sent him a text that said, "Things are looking good. They can't quite figure out what's going on. They'll send us home with some things, but we should be discharged tomorrow." It was the following day that we received the news that they had discovered. A mass in our son's head, and from there, the plans for surgery began. This was early in the week. He had surgery by that Friday, as they the tumor had filled the center part of his brain and therefore the potential for further complications was very real as even his drop in blood sugar showed. And so the week, the days leading up, there were tests that were run, some preliminary things that were getting him ready for surgery and you know, in one sense, we're just kind of holding on. You know, it's kind of like getting pulled behind a, 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 a motorboat Um, out on the lake you're just kind of getting yanked and uh, this isn't in your control at all and you're just trying to get taken taken from one thing to the next Uh, the next doctor that comes in tells you something else that needs to happen tells you some other protocol that needs to be run and so in one sense we were just kind of deer caught in the headlights going from day to day taking turns sleeping at the hospital with owen and preparing for this surgery that week it was a as we approached the day of surgery it obviously became more and more real of what was taking place and for myself i felt like it was that day before surgery where i was really broken where I, all the pent-up stress, anxieties, fears really came crashing in upon me as I grappled with the reality that my son was going under the knife the following day for many hours. But not only the surgery, but I think it was also the fear of what my son would be like after the surgery. What would be the changes that would come to my little boy that we've learned to love so much? They can try to give you promises about what the surgery will and will not do, but you never know, but you know that things are gonna be different after such a procedure. And so I just struggled I struggled through prayers, through tears, crying out to the Lord, knowing that he belonged to God, always has, and yet in a new and fresh way had to hand him over to God and entrust him to with the Lord. And so I struggled between the truth I knew and the feelings that I felt. In fact, one of the things that helped me that day was the words of the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. I couldn't sing it. I didn't even try. I just wept and mouthed my way through the words as... The first verse tells us that we have great promises that we can rest in, in the word of God. And then the following verses in in taking words of scripture, put them in the mouth of the Lord and speak them to us as believers of the promises that God is giving us. And so in that day and in that hour of struggle, they were words of scripture, words of the Lord that were speaking to me in my struggle. The words are familiar to you. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. We don't need to look anywhere else in the word of God for our refuge because he's spoken everything that we need. What does he say? He says, fear not, I'm with thee, Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume. And they gold to refine. That soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. All those truths taken from scripture flooded my soul with the strength and the reminders that I needed, that God was with me, that God was gonna carry us through this, and he was using these trials for our good. Well, Friday, August 20th, he went into surgery. We had such a, Audrey and I had such a sweet time with Owen as we waited and eventually handed him off he had fallen asleep and so it was a quiet handoff we thank God for that it was a long eight hour procedure began about 1pm we were waited we prayed some dear people with us during those hours and thankfully we got word of the surgery we got notices throughout that he was doing fine throughout the surgery and and then that he was recovering and doing well. We met with the surgeon immediately afterward and he said that they had, from his vantage point, he had removed 100% of the tumor and the surgery went as well as could be expected. At that point on, it began a day, a 36 days of recovery. 17 in the pediatric ICU, 19 days in the step-down ICU. The first few days were what they call the honeymoon period, and he's his body stabilizing and getting used to all that has taken place. But what slowly developed is the reality that, as because the tumor was removed, it affected the f- function of his pituitary gland, which affects all of our hormones, and so that began to cause some problems within his body, most notably his body stopped making the hormone ADH, which causes us to retain and hold on to water. And for us to be able to, our bodies to monitor the sodium levels in our body naturally, the amazing way that God made it. And so his body stopped making that and therefore his sodium, he began to flush water out of his system and his sodium levels began to climb and it was in those few days after surgery that as the sodium levels fluctuated so drastically that he endured multiple seizures and I can say that those were uh some of the hardest days for Audrey and I as we as we watched our uh our son suffer and I know that uh Many of you know that reality. We know it on small scale when our kids get sick. Uh, You want to do as much as you can, all that you can, and yet in one sense you're powerless. You're having to trust those who know what they're doing and we have to trust the Lord. And so we, at one point, at his worst point, we were ushered out of the room as they rushed in to try to stop the seizures and to try to stabilize him. And we were ushered to a waiting room. And those were some agonizing moments for us as we waited to hear what the result was. How was our son? All we could do was to weep and to pray together and trust that God had a good plan through this. And so as we went through these days of recovery, there were highs, there were lows. We didn't know how we could continue much longer. I think if we had started in the recovery process and known that it was gonna be a 36-day recovery thing, we probably wouldn't have been able to endure that. But God showed his faithfulness to us all the way through, only giving us what we needed at the time that we needed it, providing help and support exactly when we needed it. Prayers, texts, cards, encouraging us to trust God. And thankfully, he was, became stable enough on his medications that on September 26th, uh, 2021, he was able to return home. We were... So I'd say we're incredibly thankful and grateful for the medical staff at Loma Linda for their expertise and all that they provided to uh, work with our son for so long and to be able to uh, stabilize him. Currently, uh, he's here today and he's doing well. He is on a regimen of medications that uh, replaces hormones that his body can't produce on its own right now. We don't know how long that will be. But otherwise, his body's function, functioning normally. And we know that there will be challenges for him in the days ahead. But we're thankful for the medical advances that enable him to be able to function fairly normally. Today, we, I read something from someone that had a similar surgery done back in the 70s, and apparently then 50% had major eye issues, either went blind or had major uh, eye malfunction as a result of the surgery, because where the tumor is, uh, it, it sits right there on the nerves for the eyes, which for those of you that followed us, there were some concerns for his, his right eye right out of surgery, and those God has caused his eye to heal there, which we're thankful for as well. So we just give all praise and thanks to God for his kind care for us and for our son as we went through these many days of time in the hospital and walking this path that God chose for us. Now, if you want to... uh, more information on our days in the hospital, I encourage you to check out our Caring Bridge site uh, where we uh, did a post just about every day and you can go back and read those yourself. But what I want to do with the remainder of our time this morning is to just offer some personal and pastoral reflections based upon these events that God has brought us through. These points will not be new or original to me. Many of you who have walked through deep waters of suffering and maybe are walking through them right now yourself could give testimony to some of these same truths. But these are truths that were emphasized to us as we went through this trial these last few months. And so, somewhat random, just some collection of reflections. And so the first reflection for us this morning is this, that suffering forces us to grapple with the character of God. Suffering forces us to grapple with the character of God. For any difficulty that comes into our lives, we are reminded that we're not in control, right? Right? At some point, it blindsides us. At some point, it surprises us, and we feel like our lives are careening off the road, and we realize that we aren't really the ones steering this car. And we realize we're not in control like we thought we were. And so, it's in the midst of chaotic circumstances painful circumstances that we reach for the only thing, the only one who's constant, the only one who's firm and unmoving, and that is the triune God. These last two months, as we prayed and as we waited and as we agonized, Audrey and I were forced to ask ourselves, what do we know about God to be true? What is it about God that we know to be true, that is that you can take to the bank that no matter what our circumstances, no matter what we're feeling, it's always true. Another way to ask that would be when we lean upon God, what kind of God are we depending upon? Now some of the most important truths that we pulled out in those moments were tenets of sound theology. Theology. People want to say that, you know, theology is not important. It's, it's not practical. You know, yeah, those, those guys can study theology, read the big books. But, you know, for the average Christian, theology is not that important. I beg to differ. Because it was precisely theology that we needed and that we had in that hospital room. Because theology is just about who God is and we need to know about the God who's revealed himself. When they told us that our one-year-old son had a brain tumor and would require immediate surgery, we leaned upon the God that we knew and the God that was revealed in Scripture. And so I just want to share with you some theological anchors that God used for us and no doubt has used for many of you in your trials as well, these anchors that God used to ballast our souls during the storm that we weathered. These are theological truths that every believer needs anchored in their minds and hearts. The first theological anchor, the first reality of God's character that we need to hold on to is that God controls all things by his providence. God controls all things by his providence. And yes, I mean all things. I believe that Christians today do not reflect upon or study the providence of God enough. And yet by providence, God directs every aspect of our lives. Everything that goes on, that has gone on in our lives, in world history, has been brought about by the providence of God, by His direct action this world is not an accident this world is not being moved around by by mindless forces by cells bouncing around it is being led and directed by a a god who is steering it the bible is clear on this god is the maker of heaven and earth genesis 1 1 and thus he's king over all the earth Psalm 47 2. And so, therefore, he determines all that goes on. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. A verse that is, again, crucial to have cemented in our minds. in the midst of Paul talking about the great inheritance that we have through our salvation in Christ he says this in verse 11 Ephesians 1:11 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will what i want you to C is that last phrase where he says that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things are according to God's will. There's nothing that falls outside of his control. He controls people, kings, and nations. He controls weather and natural events. There is not a cell or a molecule or an atom outside of God's will. Control. There is no, as R.C. Sproul said, there are no maverick molecules in this universe that can claim an independence from God and his control. Flip to Daniel chapter 4. The prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. I never learned the song, but my, my kids will learn the song. Daniel chapter 4 one of the great kings of the ancient world had to learn this truth that God is king over this earth and he can do whatever he pleases no matter where those people lie no matter where they live he is in charge and so verse 34 Daniel chapter 4 says at the end of the day's I Nebuchadnezzar No one can fight back truly and stay his hand. All the hosts of heaven and all the inhabitants of the earth and then everything in between, God is in control. Now here's what this means practically for us. It means that whatever happens in your life has been brought about by your loving heavenly Father. All the events of our lives are ordered and directed by our God. God. There are no accidents. There are no surprises for him. God is sovereign. God is in control. Everything is working according to his will. Not chance, not fate, but his will. Now some people in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of suffering and pain, they can't, they don't like this idea that God would be in control and yet this difficult thing would happen to them. And so they they try to backpedal and they want to limit God. And they want to say, well, God is all loving and good, but he just doesn't have all the control. He, some things are just outside of his control and he's, and he's wringing his hands and wishing he could stop those evil things, but, but, he, but he just can't. They think that they're getting God off the hook. But friends, this is demeaning to our God. He is the all-sovereign one. He does have all power and all sovereignty. Let us not belittle him in our minds and hearts. Let us give him all of the glory and and all the sovereignty that we know he has. Let's praise him for that. Because if he doesn't have all the power and all the sovereignty, if he's not the one in control, then we can't trust him. This is what Jerry Bridges insightfully says in his book, Trusting God. If there is a single event in all of the universe that can occur outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot trust him. Why pray to a God that can't control everything? Why trust a God that has some things that he can't can't change and can't, can't control? Theology falls apart. And so we need to have this truth in our heart. That God is sovereign and is directing all things. This truth gives comfort in the darkest of nights. It gives hope when tempted to despair. And without this truth, as I said, prayer would be impossible and not worth it. And so, as Audrey and I went in, Through the highs and lows of those days in the hospital and as we prayed to the Lord, this was a truth that we had to remind ourselves of time and time again. God is in control. God is steering the ship. God is writing the story. God is the author and we can trust him to write this story. We don't need to fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We saw God's providence, his orchestration, his directing of all things in so many details in this situation. Even many of you for the last few months have seen our children with my mother-in-law, Kathy. She flew in, on a scheduled visit the day before all of this happened. Came to come spend time with the grandkids and with the family. And so the morning that we woke up and we had to rush Owen to the hospital, she was already there able to take care. That's God's providential care. We had just hosted some of our other family that had left the, early the morning of Owen's incident which caused our kids to kind of have to be in a room together. And so Owen was in the girls' bedroom in his pack and play. Normally doesn't happen. He's usually in his own room. Our oldest, after the girls were all up, Owen seemed to be sleeping in, or so we thought. Our oldest needed to go in to get something, and she goes in and and notices that Owen was awake. His eyes were open looking up at her. And so she got him up and brought him out. We didn't notice immediately that something was wrong. But I think what we thought was sleeping in was him having zero strength to be able to really even call out or do anything. And yet God in his providence caused our daughter to walk in there to see him and to bring him out. We went to the hospital for hypoglycemia. We thought he had low blood sugar. We got sent home with glucometer tests and all this stuff. And yet one doctor th- thought, you know what, let's do an ultrasound on that head. Come to find out that was exactly what was needed. There are no accidents. God is orchestrating everything. Things could have been different, but God's providence arranged it exactly this way and we praise him for it. So that's the first theological anchor truth that we are forced to grapple with and that every believer needs to have anchored in their heart is that God controls all things by his providence. The second theological anchor point is that God is good and loves his children. God is good and loves his children. Because you see, the providence of God, the fact that he directs and orchestrates all things, is only good if God is good. If someone has that much power but is evil, that's terrifying. If someone has that much power and is only sometimes good, then that's unsettling because you don't know what you're going to get. But the Bible's clear that God is good all the time. And so it's imperative that we believe what the Bible teaches about the character of God. Psalm chapter 107 verse 1 is a, gives us a representative declaration that we find throughout the Psalms. It says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. For he is good. A phrase that can, we can gloss over so easily and yet is so foundational to who we know God to be. Is God orchestrating all things in my life? Yes. Is he good? Yes. Therefore, are his plans good? Yes. Are his purposes good? Yes. Because what God does flows out of who he is. What God does flows out of who he is. And if he's good, then what he does is good. And yet, as Christians... If we were all to be given a test right now and with a checkbox, is God good, yes or no, we would all mark yes. And yet, when we go through trials and suffering and pain hits us in the face, we can be subtly forced to doubt some of that goodness, to question that and give us a distorted view of God. During our hospital stay, I was sent an article from the gospel coalition that offered this insightful observation it said it's far too easy to view God's character through the lens of our situation instead of the other way around It's far too easy to view God's character through the lens of our situation instead of the other way around in other words we look at the pain and the suffering in our life and we then look at god through that lens and we think that oh he must not be good or he must be doing something wrong or he must be be doing something because he hates me or because he's angry at me or we distort god's character based upon the situation in our lives when it should be the other way around that we look at our circumstance the situation we're going through our suffering and our pain and we look all of that through the lens of who god is as he's revealed himself to be in Scripture. so true so easy to get that flipped around and yet this is the fight of faith in the midst of difficult circumstances to look at our situation through the lens of what God says he is in the Bible you can remember Job right the first couple chapters an onslaught of suffering he loses family members possessions possessions and yet at the end of it all, he doesn't blame God, he praises God. Because he's not allowing his circumstances to, to shade and to change what he views of God. But God is not only good, but he loves his people. Not just the generic goodness of this big man upstairs high in the sky, but, but God specifically loves His people. And so, believer, if you are in Christ, you are loved by God, the one who is in charge of all things, the one who orchestrates and moves everything according to his will. His love for you is steadfast. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, you remember that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Amen? Amen? Nothing. No trial, no temptation, no pain, no suffering. And we must not forget that the preeminent display of his love was in the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. How does God show or demonstrate his love? It's that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When the dark clouds of suffering descend upon us, the cross still blazes bright in that darkness when the pain confuses and confounds, the cross can still be seen through the fog. We need only to look up to it. And so as we are in the midst of difficult storms, we need to remember that God's character has not changed. We must not doubt in the dark what we knew in the light. What the scriptures reveal is that God is good and that he loves us through Christ. Christ. The third theological anchor I want to draw our attention to this morning is related to this. Because when we think about the cross, we're we're then drawn to think about the one who hung upon the cross, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so our third theological anchor is that Jesus compassionately helps us. Jesus compassionately helps us. It's in Christ that God came into our world and took on the limitations of humanity. He knows what it's like to live in a fallen world with pain and heartache, disappointment, betrayal, and suffering. This is one of the great things we learn from the incarnation is that Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. The author of Hebrews reminds us of this. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. He writes Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice verse 14. He says that since we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus has accomplished his work here on earth. He's then ascended to heaven to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we hold fast our confession. We hold fast that belief of who he is. But then notice verse 15, the character of our Savior. The Savior who's ascended to heaven and is now in, in heaven for us. Notice what the author draws our attention to. That he's sympathetic. He's compassionate. He's compassionate. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The flip side is we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands the aches of my heart. He understands the temptations to anxiety, the temptations to fear. He's a shepherd who sits with us. He is not distant. He is not far off he is not detached he loves the people that he has purchased with his own blood and now romans 8 tells us that he intercedes for us he's praying for us and he's ready to hear our cries for help that he might provide aid and that's what verse 16 is about we have a high priest who can sympathize with us and so therefore what are we to do Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We go to the throne for help. All the help we need can be found in Christ. All the grace we need, all the mercy that we need in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle is found in Jesus. He purchased that access for us. And so we can boldly ask him with confidence, the author says, not because of our own merit, not because we're some sort of super godly Christians that have earned the right to be able to address God and ask for this kind of aid, but simply because of his grace, right? The throne of grace, it's called, to find grace. We've received grace, but we need more grace, and God is happy to dispense grace, and so we should go at all times because Jesus compassionately helps us I confess that in some of the most difficult moments in the hospital, it was hard to remember these great truths of the gospel, of all that Jesus has done on the cross for me. I'm sitting there and and all the beeps of the machines, my son's heart rate, his breathing, his brain health, all these things are, are what are facing me right in front of me are the things that are causing the anxiety are causing the fear what if the next beep is going to tell me something I don't want to know I don't want to hear what if the next breath is, is going to be worse than the last one and to remember in those moments these theological truths is difficult and yet it's in those moments that I'm crying out Lord help me Lord help me Lord help me, Lord, help me. And why do I have the audacity to think that God would hear my prayers? It's because of what Christ has done for me. They gave me that access to cry out in the moment of need, in the moment of of my greatest weakness. Even if the gospel may not be in the forefront of our minds at the moment, it's definitely in the background, enabling us to live the Christian life. So we must meditate, study the love of Christ, rest in it, and know that Christ is there with us no matter the circumstances. So that's my first reflection. The suffering forces us to grapple with the character of God. When God puts us on our back, we're forced to look up and to see who God is. And we must believe what the Bible says and not allow our trials and our circumstances to distort that view. My second reflection, God has good purposes for our sufferings. And this is really just an overflow of what we've been saying, right? God is good. He does all things and therefore what he does is good and therefore the purposes he has for our suffering are good. It's natural when trials come into our lives that we, we ask the big question, why? Why God? We want to know the reasons that this happened. We want to know specifically why God did this at this time. But I believe there's, there's two things that we can know confidently from Scripture based upon this question. Number one is that God never tells the specific reasons that he's doing through our trials He doesn't give us the reasons why he's bringing these things into our lives. Why this at this time, we're not going to know. We don't know exactly what in his counsel and his wisdom he's looking to do. But secondly... God has revealed a number of good things that he does through all trials, through all trials in the lives of Christians. So in other words, God never gives us specific reasons why for our circumstances, but he does give us general reasons that can be applied to every circumstance. I don't know why my one-year-old son got a brain tumor. I don't know why God chose to do that. Why my son? Why not one of my daughters? Why not myself? I don't know. But I know God is doing several things through this and his purposes for this are good. Romans 8, 28 has rightly been an off-quoted verse for Christians to cling to and it needs to remain that way, which says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The Puritan Thomas Watson called this a divine cordial or divine medicine that every Christian needs to take in the midst of their troubles. It brings healing to our afflicted souls to know that God is turning the worst things of our lives for our good. And let me be clear, there are bad things that happen. A tumor is not a good thing. It's a result of our fallen world. It's a result of the brokenness of this world. But God can use those bad things, those evil things, for his good. He sanctifies us through these. I had listed a bunch of things that God does through purposes through suffering. We don't have time to go through them. I'll just list them for us. Afflictions instruct us. They teach us something about ourselves and about God. Afflictions are destructive to sin. They help us to kill sin in our lives. Afflictions loosen our hearts from this world. The losses that we feel, the pain that we feel helps us to let go of possessions and thinking that we're gonna find happiness in this life and to realize this world doesn't offer everything that we need. This world is is bankrupt. We need the Lord. Afflictions conform us to the image of Christ. God is shaping us and forming us into the image of his son. And therefore, we can count it all joy to know that we're being shaped to look like Jesus. Jesus. God loves us too much to leave us as we are, and so he uses difficult chiseling in our lives to make us like Christ. Afflictions also strengthen our faith. We believe, but then we're forced to to step out upon the plank and to really trust. Do you believe God in this circumstance? You believed him over here? Do you believe him here? Yes, I believe him here. And then God asks us to take another step further. Will you believe him here? Yes, I believe him here. And our faith is strengthened. Afflictions equip us also to minister to others. As we go through things, then we're able to help others who have gone through things. As we receive comfort, we're able to comfort others. And finally, afflictions prepare us for heaven. This momentary light affliction, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. We look forward to that day when all of this goes away, when Jesus sets everything right. We're being prepared for the place that is full of glory. And so we need to remember that God has good purposes for our pain, for our suffering. If there are difficult things you are going through, God has good purposes that he is looking to bring about in your life through these things. Third reflection this morning is to learn to pray in the midst of your mess. Learn to pray in the midst of your mess. By mess, I don't just mean the circumstances, although it is that, but I mean your own internal mess, your struggle. You feel like you're not the Christian you ought to be. You're not clinging to God like you need to be. You're, you just feel like you're a mess in the midst of your trial and your pain. We we're not supposed to clean ourselves up, straighten ourselves up before we pray to God. We can pray in the midst of that mess. Audrey and I, as we went through this trial, we struggled. There were some days our faith was strong and other days it wasn't. Some days we were peaceful and other days we were anxious and angry. Our, our, our journey was not a straight line, it was not one of perfect faith all the way through. I struggled with more anxiety than I've ever struggled with, knowing that I just need that I need to submit my requests to God and know that He will take them and that and that there can be peace, knowing that God has these things, and yet still feeling my heart beating rapidly and still feeling that that anxiety deep down. I knew it; I shouldn't be anxious, but I struggled to shake those feelings of fear. But it was in the midst of this mess in the midst of this sloppy faith, you might call it, that I had to cry out to God and ask for help. It's in the midst of this that we pray, it's in the midst of this that we go to the throne of grace, that we ask for his mercy. And so don't try to straighten out your mess before you go to God. Don't try to get yourself all cleaned up and tidy and be the nice, tidy Christian before you pray to him. Just come and bring all of your mess before him. That's what he has opened up a way for you to be able to do. My fourth reflection this morning is that we needed the church. We needed the church. We would not have been able to make it through 44 days in the hospital without the love, care, and support of the church. We were regularly blessed and blown away by all the ways that you served our family. And so let me just say, on behalf of my family, how thankful we are. Thank you. For your love for us, through your diligent and regular prayers, we were blessed in so many, so many ways. From the meals that have come to, uh, to feed us, to home repairs, car repairs, uh, random cards with money, gift cards, uh, notes of encouragement, yard signs. We have just been so blown away. Thank you for carrying, seeking to carry our burden with us. Galatians chapter six, verse two says, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I can say that as a body, you have fulfilled the law of Christ as you helped to bear our burden. We felt like we were in a position where we could give nothing back, but yet you as a church continue to give and to give and to give. We are so thankful for the church. We don't know what we would have done without it. I wanna say a special thank you to my brothers, the elders, as they work to pick up things in my absence, for their kindness to me and to my family, to enable me to be able to take care of my family, to not put pressure on me while I was away, for Taylor and for Art, for they filling the pulpit and faithfully bringing God's word in weeks that were too full and probably didn't have time to prepare another sermon and yet they did. Thankful to Josh for his administrative ability to continue to keep the church running and the launching of TC, the rest of the staff and all that they have done. It just, we're so grateful for what God has provided here at Foothill and the ways that he has continued to sustain us and to bless us through all of you and so I can just say we need the church you do too we as believers are not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians we are meant to be a family a community of people united in Christ through the spirit in which we support and love one another so I end this morning my fifth reflection and that is we all must prepare for suffering. We all must prepare for suffering. We don't like suffering. We don't want it. Some of you have have and are going through much suffering. Others, maybe it's been rather light in God's providence. Many difficult things haven't necessarily come your way. But we live in a fallen world. Jesus promised, in the world you will have trouble. And so ever since the fall of man, recorded in Genesis 3, there's been pain, there's been suffering, and heartache. And so as Christians, we need to prepare for that reality. I don't know what the days ahead hold for each one of us, but I can say it's getting harder to live as a Christian in this world. And we don't know what other health things might come your way, what health things might come to you or to your family. We don't know what things might be around the corner, and we don't need to fear about what's around the corner because who's in control of all things? God is, and he's good, and he loves his children, and Jesus compassionately stands with us. But nonetheless, we need to prepare. I remember when I was in high school, fresh young with life looking out, and I I was listening to uh, John Piper sermons, and he talked about the need to prepare for suffering. I never really heard that before growing up in the church and anything prepare for suffering. But it definitely got me thinking. What would I do if something were to, to come into my life? What, what would, how I, would I respond if suffering came my way? And as we have gone through this trial, I've even more seen the, the seriousness of that admonition. You see, in the midst of a trial, we don't have time to pull down all the books on theology or read all the best books on suffering uh, when something hits. We have to reach into our spiritual pockets in that moment and pull out whatever's there. So the question is, what is in your spiritual pockets? What, what have you been inputting into your heart and life? And, in, and what have you been studying from God's word? What have you been growing in so that, so that you can be able to pull out in those moments of trial and difficulty? And so we must prepare for whatever God has for us. Maybe you've suffered a lot, but there's still more that you can learn and grow in. There's still more that you can prepare to continue to suffer well. Just because we make it through one storm doesn't mean that we've got what we need to make it through the next. We're weak, and we need to continue to build in to our hearts. And so, just a few exhortations as as we close for how you can prepare for suffering, how you can grow and prepare for what trial the Lord may have for you next. One is to be faithful in private devotions. Yes, read your Bible and pray. It's that simple. It's not a magic formula, but it's a place that we need to go to the word of God. We need to build in to know who God is and commune with him, that we walk closely with him now. So in those moments when the storm hits, we continue to walk closely with him. Don't neglect being faithful in private devotions. Secondly, be faithfully rooted in the local church. Be faithfully rooted in the local church. Come to Hear the preaching of God's word. Come to worship with the saints. Enjoy fellowship. Enjoy deep relationships in small groups and other relational capacities. Don't hold yourself distant and aloof from the local church. You need to be rooted. Again, God made us as Christians to be a part, a member of, a part of a local body. And we need that. Your family needs that. Your kids need that. What is the theology of a local church that they're gonna head off into life with? How you train them in attending church now will we'll train them in that. Help them prepare for suffering by being, rude, being faithfully rooted in a local church. Thirdly, read good books. Good books on theology, as we talked about. Good books on suffering, those who have gone through that. Read biographies, stories of those who have gone before that have lived difficult lives. They will encourage you. And fourthly, talk to saints who have suffered. Talk to saints who have suffered. And this is why we get into close relationship with one another in the the local fellowship, that we learn each other's stories and we hear what God has done, how God has sustained others. And when you hear of what God has done in others' lives, you're encouraged that God can do that in your life. Again, I don't know what the future holds, but we must prepare for whatever that is if we're going to stand in the days ahead friends it's not going to be by our own strength it's not because we're going to find something inside that we're just going to be a strong person it's going to be because we've thrown ourselves completely upon Christ that we've said Christ I don't have it I can't do this I can't stand I can't bear this I don't have the faith I don't have the wisdom I need you and we go confidently to that throne of grace to find mercy and grace in time of need. May God enable us to have the humility to do that in the days ahead. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Oh God in heaven, we thank you for your abundant love for us. We thank you that you do love us, that you are in control, that you are the one sovereignly working in our lives. And I pray, Father, for each one here that you would please secure in their minds of your greatness and your sovereignty over their lives and their situations. May they be comforted to know that you, the good and wise God, are orchestrating all things in their lives. And Father, we pray that you would please help us in the days ahead to cling to the truths of who you are, And help us to be a congregation, a people that in that suffer well, whatever you and your plan have ordained to take place in our lives. We trust you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me send you off with the benediction found in Jude. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. And we all say, Amen. Amen. God be with you.